Numbers chapter 21 verse 1. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of Atharim, and he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. 2. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. As they were traveling toward Canaan, one of the kings came out to fight them because he felt that they were a threat because, yeah, millions of people coming his way. He probably thought they were going to take over his land, which eventually they are. So he fought against them and took a few captive, but then they promised the Lord that if he caused them to win, that they would devote the cities. Killing the cities utterly is devoting. And that means that they don't take any spoils from the city. As well as everybody dying, it means that the cattle will probably die too, which means all of it becomes a gift to the Lord, showing that they trust the Lord to meet all of their needs. They're not going to keep any of the spoils, just like Abraham didn't keep the spoils when he went and fought the kings to save Lot. The other interesting thing about this is it says Israel, as if the entire nation of Israel is one person. This means that whatever leaders were involved, whatever Moses did, they were all unified as one. 3. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel, and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities, and the name of the place was called Hormah. The Israelites kept their word to the Lord to devote these cities completely to him, and not to take anything from them. And that means they don't get wives either from these cities. 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way to the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became impatient because of the way. Because they weren't going through Edom, because the Edomites wouldn't let them, they're brothers to Edom, so they didn't want to fight Edom. But since their brothers didn't have any compassion and wouldn't let them go through the land, they had to take the long route, which made people really tired, because it meant longer walking with the animals, the babies, all of their goods. So it was really exhausting. 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, and there is no water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now they're saying that they detest or loathe the bread that God gave them, the manna. What an insult. God gave them that bread not only to keep them alive, but because it represents the word of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread that came from heaven, and I am the bread of life. They're resisting his good will toward them and his son by saying this. And they're totally spitting in his face when he gave them the only bread they have. That's really biting the hand that feeds you. 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. These snakes, it says they're fiery. It must be that when they bite, it has a really burning sensation, or it could mean that they look red, or I'm not sure, but I'm assuming it has something to do with the bite, that the bite feels like fire. 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. See how they always repent when they're tired of the punishment. They never repent because they love the Lord. They just repent because they don't want to get disciplined. 
But Moses faithfully always prays for their healing and forgiveness. 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he seeth it, shall live. God is actually telling Moses to make a graven image, which is one of the Ten Commandments that you're not supposed to do. However, in that commandment, it always is with the further instruction that you're not supposed to make the image to worship it. God had them make images of angels in the tabernacle. It isn't that he's against us creating images, but we can't create an image that we worship. So he told Moses, create an image of a fiery serpent, which is the very thing that I plagued them with, and it'll make them remember that I'm disciplining them. And when they look on it, they will live. Looking at it is not worshiping it because they aren't worshiping it. They're looking at it to live, and we know that God would never have them do something that's against his commandment. So now we've learned that making an image in and of itself is not a sin, and looking at the image in and of itself is not a sin. It's when you make an image and worship it that makes a sin. They aren't worshiping the serpent at all. In fact, the serpent reminds them of something they don't want to think about, which is the fact that God is angry with them and he's disciplining them. The serpent isn't fashioned to admire. It's fashioned to remind them they're not at peace with the Lord. But when they look at it, they live. And in the New Testament, this is explained that it's the same as when we look at Jesus. When we look at Jesus for salvation, he saves us. And I think that's kind of unusual because when we think of a snake, we think of Satan. We don't think of Jesus. But these are special snakes that God actually sent to discipline the people. It's knowing that you can't be healed unless Jesus heals you. When they looked at the serpent, it was as if they were asking the Lord to heal them. And that's what happened. 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and set it upon the pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked unto the serpent of brass, he lived. This image is fashioned out of brass. Some people think that this image of the serpent going up the pole is the same thing as the medical seal that's used, but actually the medical seal is two serpents, and they have wings, and they're going up a pole. So it's a completely different image. It kind of plays on this, but it's not the same image. And actually, the two serpents with the wings is a satanic symbol. The medical symbol, it actually has ancient satanic origins, and it's not the same thing that Moses created out here in the desert. 10. And the children of Israel journeyed and pitched in Oboth. 11. And they journeyed from Oboth and pitched at Eja-Eberim, in the wilderness which is in front of Moab toward the sun rising. The Moabites are the children of Lot that he had with one of his daughters. And they're all pagans. Their origination wasn't good because the daughter got him drunk and then slept with him so that she could have kids because she didn't believe that God would bring her a husband. So she took matters into her own hands and got her father drunk, slept with him, and so did her sister. Anyway, because she had no faith. She had a child that had no faith. And then all of his descendants had no faith and became pagans. We just need to trust the Lord for our needs. If there's anything we need, ask God for it and believe that he's going to give it to us and just wait on him. Don't take matters into our own hands. 
12, from thence they journeyed and pitched in the valley of Zerid. This is showing us that they went to a lot of different places. They stopped at certain cities and then they would get up and go again. Now you know they're going there because the pillar of cloud and the fire by night is leading them to these places. God is taking them on this journey. 13, from thence they journeyed and pitched on the other side of the Arnon which is in the wilderness that cometh out of the border of the Amorites. So the Arnon is a river, for Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. The Moabites are pagans, the Amorites are giants, and they're also pagans. 14. Wherefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Vaheb and Sufa, and the valleys of Arnon. And that is Hebrew for town in the stream. So the Arnon is a little river, and the town in it is this place. The book of the wars of the Lord, I'm not sure exactly what that is because there's multiple chronicles and multiple books about wars and histories of Israel. In the Bible, we have six of them. It's first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and first and second Samuel. Those all chronicle the wars of Israel, but those aren't the full extent of the records. There's also this book of the wars. You'll also see other books mentioned when we're reading in Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. 15. And the slope of the valleys that incline toward the sea of Ar, and leaneth upon the border of Moab. Ar is a city, Moab is an area. 16. And from thence to Beer, that is the well, whereof the Lord said unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. And that might later be called Beersheba. In the Bible, ancient names become modern, and they change, like Ephrata becomes Bethlehem, and other names change in the Bible too. 17. Then sang Israel this song. It's interesting how this whole chapter is talking about Israel as if it's one person. Israel is very unified at this point. And here is the song. Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. 18. The well, which the princes digged, which the nobles of the people delved, with the scepter and with their staves, and from the wilderness of Matana, they're at a well. Beersheba is a well. And we're going to hear more about that well later. So they're still singing. 19. And from Matana to Nehatiel, and from Nehatiel to Bamoth. 20. And from Bamoth to the valley that is in the field of Moab, by the top of Pisgah, which looketh down upon the desert. All of these are different places where they have traveled on their journey to Canaan. 21. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, There's different ways of dealing with kings. You can fight them. You can try to strike a deal. You can wave the white flag and tell them that you're their captives. It just depends on what kind of strength you have against their strength and what you actually want to accomplish. So with this king, they chose to send out messengers and see if they could work a deal. 22. Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn aside into field or into vineyard. We will not drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed thy border. Here's another king that they really don't want to fight. They didn't want to fight the Edomites. And now they don't want to fight the Amorites. Now the Amorites are not their brothers, but they are giants. So maybe that's why they're trying to work a deal. 23. 
and Sihon would not suffer Israel to pass through his border. But Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness and came to Jahaz and he fought against Israel. The Amorite king decided to fight them. He wants to take them out instead of being kind. 24. And Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from the Arnon unto the Jabbok. And the Jabbok is another river, even unto the children of Ammon. For the border of the children of Ammon was strong. They only went to the border because the border was strong. I guess there's a lot of people living there and they couldn't cross that line. But they did wipe out the Amorites up to Arnon and Jabbok. 25. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all the towns thereof. They were able to take the cities and then live in them as a resource. You know, because cities have pre-made buildings, pre-made houses, pre-made wells, all the amenities. By taking over the cities, they instantly get amenities that they didn't have when they were in the desert. 26. For Heshbon was the king of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand, even unto the Arnon. They have won land from a king who originally won it from a different king. The Amorites took it from the Moabites, but now the Israelites have taken it from the Amorites. 27. Wherefore they that speak in parables say, so now it's telling us a parable of the time that refers to this, Come ye to Heshbon, let the city of Sihon be built and established. What that parable is saying is, let's go and make the city our own, meaning we're going to take it over it continuing the parable. 28. For a fire is gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It hath devoured Ar of Moab, the lords of the high places of Arnon. That's saying that the city was lit on fire, which is a very common thing that's done in war. When you want to incapacitate a city, you light it on fire. Then after they burned the places they don't want, then they rebuild new buildings. 29. Woe to thee, Moab, thou art undone, O people of Chamath. He hath given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity unto Sihon, king of the Amorites. These towns were not devoted, meaning that God got everything and everything died and was destroyed. These towns were taken over, so that's different than devoting. Because when you take over a town, you get all the resources, including the women as wives. 30. We have shot at them. Heshbon is perished, even unto Dibon. And we have laid waste, even unto Nophah, which reacheth unto Medaba. These are all the areas that they took over. They might be different regions within the city or different areas around the city. That was the end of the proverb. That's where it ends. 31. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. This is how Israel started to dwell, was this whole story of them taking over all these cities. 32. And Moses sent to spy out Jazer. And they took the towns thereof and drove out the Amorites that were there. Jazer is another region that has multiple cities. So then they took that over. They're really on a roll, aren't they, the Israelites? And as long as they keep obeying the Lord, they'll do fine and he'll keep winning their battles for them. But whenever they sin, they start losing battles. We'll see this time and time again. When the Israelites are obeying the Lord, they win battles. When they sin, they lose. We even see this in King David's time. King David won battles as long as he obeyed the Lord. But when he disobeyed the Lord, that was when he lost battles. 33. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. 
34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand, and all his people, and his land, and thou shalt do to him as thou didst unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. God has promised them ahead of time that he's going to cause them to win. Has God ever promised you anything ahead of time? I know he's done that for me several times in my life where he gave me a promise that he was going to bless me in a certain way or that I had nothing to fear. I remember one day when I was really young, I think I was in high school or maybe fresh out of high school, and I was in a situation that could be very dangerous and God actually told me, you will not die today. He told me that, and so I had no fear whatsoever. I was like, okay, I know I don't need to worry. I'm sure God's done that with you too, but it's neat how he'll promise us things sometimes because he wants us to be strong and have a a stony face and believe in him 100%. A stony face is when you're not afraid. 35, so they smote him, meaning the king of Bashan, and his sons, and all his people, until there was none left him remaining, and they possessed his land. The reason they killed his sons and all of his relatives, so that there would be nobody in his house remaining, is because if you leave one relative alive, then that person will get revenge. That person will build an army and get revenge and try to take their father's inheritance back. Traditionally, throughout the Bible and throughout all of history, whenever you want to defeat one man, you have to wipe out his entire family. For instance, that's why when the Romanovs were executed in World War I, they were the last Russian Tsar family. The entire family was shot. Everybody, from the little boy to the father. Because any one of them could get together an army to take the palace back. That's why that kind of thing is always done. And that concludes Numbers chapter 21.